This is the Horse Radio Network. This is Episode 8 of the Healthy Critters Radio on the Horse Radio Network. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Our sponsor this week is Biostar US. Hanoverian Breeding with Mariana Heyman. Is wheat good for your horses? The standard poodle is the breed of the show, and Hedwig is a toad licker. And some horsemanship tips in the coffee clutch. Listen in. This is Tigger Montague. And this is Patty Perucci. And you're listening to Healthy Critters Radio on the Horse Radio Network. We have quite a, a good show. We do. We always Mariana Heyman is a wealth of knowledge. You know, she's been breeding for like 25 years. And she has done so much. It's so it was it's just it's a great interview because you get to learn so much more than just about I like to call him the Don or the Prince as he's known. <laughs> and you know, knowing that he is a stallion that has been competing at this level like you just for you nine just, years mm-hmm. at the Grand Prix level and it's different amazing. and different riders and you know being a stallion rider myself and knowing how that is not an easy task. No. Um, and you said you just watched him this weekend. I did. I watched him in the freestyle, and I mean, first of all, you wouldn't know the horse was seventeen, but it's just a real credit, I think, to not just Mariana, but looking at the Hanoverian Dutch Holstein. Westphalian, you know, the European breeds have done such an excellent job of, you know, breeding really good horses over generations and generations and generations. And certainly you can include the thoroughbreds in that as well. Of course. But then we go into these trends which can, you know, not necessarily improve different breeds and, um, but you know, Tigger, it's interesting because you know um, you and I have a very good mutual uh, friend, uh, Lise Lutvindig, who is a Holsteiner breeder and has been <clears throat> won many awards. But it's interesting; you have to try stuff to see what's not going to work. You have to yeah. play around to see what's going to hold up and not hold up. And it's different for different disciplines. It's such a fascinating. I, I really think the mind of a breeder and the foresight and understanding and seeing what the future is and can be is it's it's so interesting and it, and it really can um, be very time consuming and I think Mariana did such a wonderful job explaining the differences and you know stallion versus mare and I think every every breeder has their opinion on that but it's just it's I thought that was it was very interesting and it was it's neat to hear about all the offspring and you know we also have the standard poodle as the breed of the show and yes and, we do. you know we don't think of the standard poodle necessarily as being a a horse-related dog, but um, as you all are going to find out, really, it's they make great barn dogs. Barn dogs, they do, and they're also apparently really good hunters. Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? And you know, Hedwig and the Toads. That oh, we'll, wow. we'll leave that for the Hedwig se- yep. segment. She can explain that herself. And I can't wait to hear more about wheat. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you're going to like it very much. <laughs> no, I'm sure I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> and then we've got our. Our top tips, the tips that were yes. given us or that people passed on to us, our horsemanship tips, yes. which hopefully is will be good for a lot of laughs. Yep, I'm sure it will be. <laughs> I am sure it will be. So listen in. And before we get going, we have Glenn, our producer here. Hey, Glenn. Hey, hey guys. Glenn. I just wanted to hop in and thank Tigger for coming over on one of my shows. She was over on the driving radio show of all places. Yes, carriage uh-huh. driving. And oh, yeah, it was so fun. She was there with Dr. Wendy and I. Now, Dr. Wendy is a traditional Chinese medicine doctor and a veterinarian, so she's both. So she listened to your show and loved it and said, i got to have Tigger on because in her, our traditional Chinese medicine segment we do almost every week, she talks about whole foods, and she really believes in whole foods, and so she wanted – those Smart two woman. got to geek out together. <laughs> they you got know? to geek out. Yeah. And did, did Tigger lend her expertise in, um, in driving? driving? Uh, well, that was interesting because Tigger apparently remember the guest we had on. What's his name? James, uh, Houston. James, James Houston. James Houston. Well, you you we had him on what two episodes ago, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, and he was talking about you know being a carriage driver and one of the best in the world actually. And you took a driving lesson with him. And if they want to hear about that, they should head over to the driving radio show because it was hilarious. Yes, I uh, bet it was. Uh, well, everybody's first driving lesson is hilarious, and Tigger <laughs> yours especially because. 
He had you doing something that not is not normally done when you take your first driving lesson. That's James. <laughs> That's so, James. And it so turns I want out you that no, Glenn. I last night I yes. talked to James. Yes. I said, you know, I did the radio show and I talked about my first lesson and and oh by the way, um, why did you teach me to hold the reins in in the left hand and then put the right hand in front of him? And he goes because. That's the proper way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. He had her. Te- he was teaching her one-handed driving, which was not something you usually learn right away. You usually do two hands at first. And um, when you drive with one hand, the horse goes everywhere because you have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> it's so funny. Eat a drunken sailor, and you didn't have any alcohol. <laughs> I, I was I, all over the road. David Saunders, who knows James very well, David is a coachman in Central Florida, and we. I drove with his Fortin hand. Uh, of, of his lady's four in hand, Gloria Austin owns four PREs, very beautiful horses, oh. and very well trained. So David's like, well, here, hold them all the, all the reins. Now you got four sets, right? Uh, hold all the reins in one hand. And I was like, are you kidding me? I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Oh, so the so front funny. horses were going one direction, and the back horses were going a different direction. It was a mess. So, yeah. And Dr. Wendy knows James very well and was very impressed that your first lesson was with him. So... There you uh, go. You went right to the top to take a first yeah. lesson. Hey, you know, I'm a dressage rider. <laughs> I don't <laughs> mess around. But princess. I will say it's over at drivingradioshow.com if you want to listen to it. And and your geek out session on Whole Foods was very good because Wendy is a firm believer in Whole Foods for everybody, for the people the and all the animals. So uh, she she really enjoyed that conversation. Yeah, that was great. Great fun for me, too. I love to geek out on Whole Foods. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, she really does know what she's talking about and uh, has spent years studying this stuff. And, and, you know, it's funny because when you talk about herbs and stuff, I've heard all the same things from Wendy. Uh, because yeah. she, you know, studied all that with the traditional Chinese medicine. So it is interesting to hear it uh, and to understand a little bit about they just don't make your ta- food taste good. They actually do something. Yeah, So exactly. Yep. Well, thank you. Drivingradioshow.com is where you can hear Tigger doing her thing in the <laughs> cart. <laughs> wrecking into the trees. That's it. Going off the road. <laughs> so going to listen to this. <laughs> Well, first we have to do another train wreck, and that's Ask Hedwig. Uh, coming <laughs> Poor up. Hedy. Poor Hedy. <laughs> yeah, she's having week. a rough time of it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Hedy. Hi, Hedy. Hello, Tiggle and Patty. So you sad. don't sound so good. I've been abandoned by my slave. <laughs> Wait a second. Wait a second. Hedwood, who's taking care of you when you're abandoned? A lesser slave. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I am so sorry. Well, I, I wanted to ask you about a subject that I know you know lots about, which which are toads. You know, the... Oh, I- Toads and dogs and toads and cats. Especially in Florida. We have toads who live in our vanilla pile. There are four toads. And do you They're don't big go, toads. You, you don't go and touch them, do you? I sometimes like to watch them hot, but I'm not compelled to go too close because they're kind of orange. And that's <laughs> not a normal color. But you know you're not supposed to touch them, right? You're not supposed to lick them. That's almost as bad as chocolate. Now look, Patty. Are you calling me a toad licker? (laughs) Is that where we're going today? I am already having a bad day and I think was not a toad licker. No, what I was saying is you're beautiful. (laughs) Oh, no. I want to know, do you know anything about toads and what, what what other dogs can do when what the servants can do for the dogs if they lick toads. Well, I am aware of some issues. For example, Bufo Americanus is the most common American toad, and it has a a neurotoxin on its skin. And if you are to touch it, say you are a toad licker, (laughs) then you might suddenly die because you were a toad. Now, to be specific, I am not... A toad liquor. That said, we do have a horse at home who is a little bit of a toad liquor, but she has not died. 
she holds things, so we try not to talk about it because it's embarrassing to her family. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> now, I have a it's dog that a likes problem. to pounce on toads, but he doesn't lick them. Thank God. Well, you know, Tigger, we cannot always save the stupid ones. <laughs> I mean, and our toads, dog, I thought know, toads were to do weird things. <laughs> Just let it go. I thought that in Florida there were more poisonous toads than anywhere else. Am I wrong on that? Have you ever been to Australia? Because (laughs) there are so many poisonous things in Australia that you cannot even imagine. And do you know that my slave, one of her best friends, is Australian? Is she a toad? <laughs> I'm afraid to ask. <laughs> I sit petrified no, for the answer. <laughs> he is not a toad, but he is sometimes toad like. Okay. <laughs> He's coming to Florida to visit us. So we'll all meet him. Oh good. He's Australian. Okay. So is so, what is your what is your advice about dogs that want to lick toads? Don't do it. I assume that no. the best, yeah, the best thing I can say under these circumstances is if you have a dog that really wants to lick a toad, you probably need to get that dog some help. I mean, <laughs> okay, give it a nice snack, like Good. some cheese. Like when I'm depressed, I find cheese to be really helpful. Like today, when I'm depressed, if I'd had some cheese, I probably would have felt better, Tigger. But I didn't get any teeth, did I, Tigger? No. Okay, Tig. um. (laughs) Now I'm depressed, and I'm going to go find a toad in the backyard and probably lick it until I die. You may have to go in your crate, Hetty, I'm just saying. (laughs) Well, Hetty, I know your servant will be home in in just a couple hours, so hang in there, girl. Hang in there, girl. Stay away from the toads. She's in trouble once she gets home. And now it's time... For the breed of the show. So the breed of the show is going to be the standard poodle, which is quite an interesting dog. I have known several people that have had them, actually a lot of people around Barnes, and I've always known that they were highly intelligent, but there's so many things that I didn't know. I mean, there's actually, I'm going to specifically stay on the standard poodle, but there are many different types. There is the standard, the miniature, the toy Um, And I think they all have very similar characteristics. Uh, What I found so fascinating about the standard poodle is not only are they very intelligent, which I think most people know that, but they were initially bred in Germany as a water dog, and they're very good fowl hunters, which I didn't know. And at some point, they were brought to France, and then they were standardized, which I think became the French poodle. But they are... Um, they're, they're skilled in many different dog sports. They're great in agility, obedience, tracking, and even herding. Um, they are a very sensitive dog, a very, a great companion. They, um, some of the reading that I had done had mentioned that they can actually be a little overly sensitive that they're sitting next to you and you go to reach down and touch them. They can kind of like jump out of their skin a little bit because they're just highly, um, aware of their surroundings and not that they're a high strung dog, but they're just very sensitive, which I thought was kind of an interesting um, point. Um, But I think a lot of people view them as such little sissy frou-frou dogs. And quite honestly, they're very tough. A friend of mine at the last barn I was in Virginia um, actually was very much a fan of poodles and they were just the sturdiest dogs would go on long trail rides with them and always come back ready to do more. Um, They are, um, wonderful companion dogs, like I said before, highly trainable. Uh, They're non-shedding, which is awesome. However, the non-shedding, because of the very curly tight coat, if you're not clipping it, can become one of the problems with the breed is that um, they can have ear infections. So it is important to keep them clipped. They offer many different types of clips. There are so many, I can't even go into them, but I think most people are familiar with the the show clip, which is quite a fancy clip. they have where they cut out little um, round knobs over their hips and uh, and the, the joints to keep jo- them warm. Yeah, to keep in them the warm, water. right? Which is again, I mean, I kind of knew some of this stuff, but a whole lot of this I didn't. I didn't know. I mean, did you know that there were a good hunting dog? 
I did. And I knew they were a good water dog. Do you know that they're, um, they, they can bloat easy? Yeah. Well, that's the next thing I was going to say. So Addison's disease and bloat. Oh. Yeah. But that's, that's what um, um, Peter's uh, last one uh, was lost to was Addison's, um, which I think is a, a – Adrenal gland. Adrenal gland and a very highly – quite a problem um, in the breed. Um, but and you know that and bloat. But other than that, I think they're a pretty they're a pretty uh, pretty sturdy dog. Um, they're great in barns. They're great around kids. They're great around cats. Um, and um, the nice thing is, is they live they live to about eleven to twelve years. Um, I think that uh, it, it's funny. It's a dog that I've always kind of viewed. It's not always been my kind of type of dog. But being mm-hmm. around Tita's, I was always so amazed at how um, how they very much adapted to the farm surroundings and were yes. really quite a great barn dog. And they yeah, and they don't s- they don't have the herding thing going on, right? Even though you can tra- that is a good point. Even though you can train them to be good herd dogs, they don't they don't go out and start chasing the. I mean, it's not their instinct is not to herd. Um, their instinct is to really be obedient. So, um, and they, you know, they come in so many different colors. They come in a blue, a brown, a black, a white, an apricot, a cream. (laughs) I mean, they just, there's like so many different colors. Um, and, um, I think all in all, they are really quite a great dog and they're smart They're And I think they travel well. They, you know, they, they're a dog that you can take out, you know, obviously, cause we're thinking about, um, barns and whatnot. They're a dog that you can take, let them run around the barn, put them in your car and they'll lay down and behave themselves if you have to go, you know, driving for a couple hours. So I think it's a, it's a really cool dog. I learned a lot about them. Is that going to be your next dog? No. <laughs> <laughs> Nope. I was good. Hey, I wanted to see if you all want to do the French bulldog again. (laughs) (laughs) Kidding. I mean, actually, you know, it's funny. Um, I have become far more fond of them than I thought. Far more fond of them than I thought. Poodles or Frenchies? Uh, Poodles. Sorry. (laughs) Are you kidding? If I got another big dog, uh, Hannah would insist we got an Aussie. And so would Tigger. So, you know, whatever. Like, I have a choice there. But this is a good dog. And we're here with Marianna Heyman. She's one of my favorite, favorite breeders of Hanoverian horses. She and her husband have Mary Dell Farms in North Carolina, where they breed not only outstanding horses, but horses of great temperament and trainability, which I think is very, very important in, in, a, in a sport horse. So welcome to the show, Marianna. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So and thank I just, you for that wonderful introduction. <laughs> Well, it's true. <clears throat> um, I well, was at the Hanoverian um, site, and in 2015, you had the champion weanling, uh, the champion weanling yearling filly, Danae, Danae? Yes. Danae, cha- MF, yes. Yes, and then you had the champion of the two- and three-year-old colts and geldings, which was debonair, MF. Yes. Yes. You have won the Dressage at Devon Perpetual Memorial Trophy for 2012, 2013, and 2014. Wow. And 15. Oh, <laughs> we won it I, last year as well. Well done. Well ah. done. Danae, little Danae won that one. She was reserve brand champion. Wow. That's wow. fantastic. Thank you. So, um, for everyone who doesn't know, um, Mariana's um, really top stallion is Don Principe. Everybody he has knows been the Don, the Don, the Prince. No, the Prince, the, the Prince. Prince. Okay. Yes. And he has been an a successful FEI horse for how many years now, Mariana? He has competed at the Grand Prix level. For eight years with That's five wow. different riders. It's unbelievable. That's outstanding. Thank you. Well, it, it's a testament to his temperament and his confirmation that he can do the job. He loves doing the job, which is what makes a, a, a happy athlete. And when it's a happy athlete, they're successful, no matter who's sitting on their back. Well, that's true. That's very true. I, I've ridden many stallions in my career, and I can tell you, I can't say a lot of them would have tolerated many different riders. So that's a, that's a huge, huge thing. Yeah, I, I think it is. 
So I, my first question, I know lots of people who have, you know, are thinking of getting a mare or want to breed their existing mare. Um, what, what are your, you know, tips for, you know, breeding, a, a hopefully breeding a lovely, sound, trainable youngster? Educate yourself. That's number one. Um, mm-hmm. go, to, go to dressage at Devon and watch the breed show. Watch what's working, what's being rewarded. Um, there are many um, online sites that will give you information. There are many places that you can go and take what is known as a breeder's orientation course. A little bit of a misnomer because most people who take it already have some serious interest. But, um, for example, the United States Dressage Foundation offers a grant called the Elysium Fund for breeders to take education opportunities. Uh, I believe if you apply by May 1st, um, that's the deadline for for every year, and it's about $1,000 to take a domestic course, and I think it's two or $3,000 if you want to go to Europe to study. Wow. I suggest um, to people to pay for a subscription to clipmyhorse.com, De, um, there are a lot of foal shows on there. But if you want to breed a good horse, whether it's for the amateurs or whether it's for yourself or whether it's for a professional, look at your goal and look for other examples of horses that are doing what you want your foal to end up doing. For example, I my goal for my whole farm is I'm an a very fragile person. I break easy. I can't move very quickly. I need an amateur-friendly mind, which was my number one goal. But I had the dream of riding Grand Prix. So I wanted a Grand Prix athlete that would tolerate someone like me. But at the same time, if I decided that, oh, gee, this horse is super talented, I'm going to put a pro on its back and let's go to the international arena. I wanted a horse that could meet all three of those goals. And I got very, very lucky in finding Don Principe and being able to produce that. Um, Know your bloodlines. Know what works. What crosses work. Know your confirmation. Certain confirmation issues that are cropping up in today's Grand Prix horses are we have bred for the very tall, long-legged horse And when you go into heavy extension, you risk uh, blowing the suspensory. Um, You need to know those things if you want to breed a long-term sound horse, regardless of whether it's your personal horse or it's aiming at the big leagues. So where, I know there's, I mean, from my perspective, there's a lot of debate about how much is the stallion and how much is the Mm -hmm. mare. Where do you stand on that? Genetically, it's 50-50. Science says it cannot be anything else. However, you have to take into account the fact that um, the mare carries that fetus and her temperament, meaning if she's a nervous Nelly when she's pregnant, may give her ulcers and may give the fetus ulcers, and that bull might be born with ulcers. That mare's nutrition is paramount even before she conceives. Um... It, it goes into the well-being and health of the foal. Her ability to mother, whether she's a disciplinarian or a horse that doesn't care, also is reflected in how that foal um, accepts people and accepts discipline and accepts work. So the mare, in my opinion, is 70% of the equation. Mm. But genetically, it can only be 50-50. Well, environment is so important, you know, with, with the mare, you know, yeah. and, and they're all, and they're the ones with them. I mean, the stallion has one thing to do and they're out of there and the mare is so yeah. important. Yeah. Never, ever compromise on the quality of your mare. Mm-hmm. If your mare is retired and you want to breed her because she became unsound, um, check and see if that unsoundness came from a confirmation pool and don't right. breed her. That's if such good advice. Is, That's such yeah, good advice. If your mare is difficult and you say, well, I can't ride her and show her, but let's breed, breed her it. Yeah. You really need to get out of it before you start. Yeah. Because you're only going to reproduce the same thing. So I, bet, I bet you run a lot. 
I bet yes, you run okay. into that a lot, Marianna, where, where people are like, oh, you know, I, yeah. I have this horse and I'm not going to ride it anymore. And I'm sure it's very hard to be <clears throat> diplomatic in cases like that. Cause I'm, you know, as a stallion owner, you want to be careful about where your, where right. your stallion's offspring go to and when, what they are, even though it has, you know, even though you sell the semen and it's no longer yours. Right. And, and as a stallion owner, when you are breeding to 20 different mares across the country, you don't have a clue. You really honestly right. don't have a clue unless the mare owner is honest with you. And yes, there have been times I have diplomatically said, maybe it would be better if you invest in a, a live bull that's on the ground. Yeah. And there have been times when I have said to mare owners, I don't think my stallion is the right choice for your mare. So, Mariana, the question that I know a lot of people probably have, and you've probably answered this a thousand times, but how did you end up with Don Principe? What 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 brought you to him? You talk about bloodlines and confirmation. What was it for him? Well, uh, it, attracted you? it's a long story, but it's a good one. Um, okay. In, in, 19, in 2000, um, my husband and I went to Germany to the Hanbury and Brabant and took their two-week breed orientation course. Actually, that's the turning point in my breeding program. I wow. learned what I liked and what I didn't like. And part of that breed orientation program is you tour some breeding farms. And each program um, will be different farms each year. And we were fortunate enough to go to Off Learning, uh, and that's where Don Prince was bred. He was 18 months old at the time, and I saw him and fell in love with him. He was not available for sale. They were going to present him as a stallion. And in fact, they did, and he was turned down. Mm-hmm. Two years later, it comes along that we have spent over $30,000 in stud fees, and we looked at ourselves and said, we need our own stallion. And at that point, I, I had sworn I would never own one, but well, if I had to own one, it was going to go to a journey, and I wasn't going to touch the horse. And um, my husband went and made appointments to look at several stallions. And he, he comes home with the appointment for this Donner Hall Princess Dirt Kind stallion. And I looked at it and I said, oh my God, that is Prince. He has been called Prince since the day he was born, believe it or not. And we go over and um, we needed the Donner Hall line. I knew I wanted Donner Hall because all of my mares were Rubenstein lines. And I knew that was a name. And we go over, and he's the first horse we look at. He's four. He's just completed his 70-day test, and he's scored third in dressage. And I'm videoing in the middle of the ring, and my husband walks out to me and says, do you want me to video so you can watch it? I said, no, this is the one I'm taking home. And he said, we have 15 other equipment. You can't buy the first horse you see. Okay. Oh, that is so funny. All right, we'll go to those other appointments. But we're taking this one home. So... In Germany, they present a horse that is fully wrapped and saddled and braided and all that. And when they took me back, I said I needed to handle the horse, and they were really upset about that. And I said, well, if I can't handle him, I can't take him home because when he retires, he has to come to me. So they hand me the lead chain. They take off three of the leg wraps. I take a half step backwards so I can bend over and take off the near front leg wrap. He lifts his left front foot and puts it gently on my toe. And then he hugs me. He puts his head and neck around me and pulls me into it. Okay. He was already what? mine, but you know, nobody yeah. else knew that. So we go to the wash rack and I boil and spray. He's really mellow. And he's stable next to a man. He's stable to the wow. famous Latin. Okay. So we go away, we go through the other motions, and um, we go back on a Sunday, because my husband was absolutely convinced this horse had been drugged for our visit. We go back on a Sunday morning, and this stable's under video surveillance, but it's quiet. So I go in the stall, I'm picking up his feet, I'm rubbing on him, I'm lifting his tail, and I'm tucking him in places unmentionable. And somebody comes down the hallway to see what we're doing. And, you know, my husband has a smattering of German, and he asks this girl if she speaks English. Oh, yes, I'm from Canada. And we go, okay, we're thinking of buying this horse. What can you tell us about it? She says, well, every week we change which horse we get that we have to ride. And we actually draw lots to ride this horse. 
Wow. He is our favorite. Wow. Done deal. Done deal. Done. <laughs> done and done. And That's a great in story. my experience, every one of his offspring is just that outgoing, affectionate, and people oriented. Oh, that's wonderful. And that doesn't stop at the ones out of my own marriage. That's all the ones that I've come into contact with. That's a great story. So, I think we got lucky. When you yeah. take a scalp, number one, you don't know if they're fertile. Number two, you don't know what they're going to pass on. And number three, you don't know much about the writability at a young age. Mm-hmm. You just know that the pedigree says that it, he can be written. But every, I, I mean, I currently have a four-year-old down here in Florida that literally is her father in a gray flannel suit. Wow. She is so adult and mature and work ethic and forward thinking and puts her head out and calls to you when she hears you. You know, it's, that's the kind of horse you want. And that want must be, be so much fun. That's, got to be, that's just got to be a blast to be able to see, you know, know your stallion so well and then have these offspring in, you know, showing all these different traits and then to have something like that. That I think is the, the coolest thing about owning a stallion and getting to see the offspring. That's just, that's just, that's so cool to hear that. And I'm lucky. I mean, I'm a mare person, down deep, I'm a mare person, first and foremost. But yeah. I, I, I have this little thing, you know, geldings are rhinestones, mares are I'm and a stallion girl myself. <laughs> I am a stallion girl myself. When you have a diamond, you don't go back. Yep. So, Amen. Well, know, I would um, just like to say that I um, I watched Don Prince, and he's 17 now, correct? I watched him in the three star just this past weekend, placing sixth in the, the freestyle. And I mean, this, this is a 17 year old stallion who is yeah. still placing in three star CDIs. That's and in Wellington. That's huge. In Wellington, the, the toughest competition in the U.S. Well, this, this past weekend was also the five star. So every judge sitting on that panel was, was from the five star yep. judge. Excellent this was point. The typical red judge that was sitting there judging it. Wow. Thanks again, Mariana. We really appreciate your time. And um, if anyone is interested in talking more to Mariana or learning more about her breeding program, please go to her website, which is marydellfarm.com. This is Critter Nutrition, and today we're going to talk about is wheat a good food for horses? Um, In 2012, a group of Dutch researchers from Utrecht University identified gluten sensitivity as a potential cause of equine inflammatory small bowel disease. Since that study was published, I have looked deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole of one particular gluten food, and that's wheat. It is found in virtually all of the commercial feeds in various forms such as wheat middlings or spelt or wheat germ. And of course, wheat bran is used for making mashes. The wheat of today is is not the amber grains of that wave from uh, America the Beautiful. The wheat grown today is the product of 40 years of genetic research aimed at increasing yield per acre. Modern-day wheat stands 18 to 24 inches tall, but it also contains a unique protein, and that's called gelatin. It can cross the blood-brain barrier and bind to morphine receptors. The National Institutes of Health have labeled these polypeptides, and they label them specifically ex-orphans, not like ex an orphan, like an orphan child, but an E-X-O-R-P-H-I-N-S. Exorphins bind and stimulate morphine receptors in the brain, making them just as addictive as narcotic drugs. This may, in part, explain why wheat products increase appetites in humans and why, in part, wheat is so difficult to eliminate from the diet. There's also a complex carbohydrate unique to modern-day wheat called amylopectin A. 
Some researchers have named it a super carbohydrate because it has the ability to increase blood sugar faster than other carbohydrates. It is highly digestible, thus able to raise blood sugar faster than a candy bar. Amylopectin A in wheat is like an express train for glucose. One slice of whole wheat bread is almost twice as high on the glycemic index of insulin-spiking foods as an entire Snickers bar. In his book, Serve to Win, the number one ranked men's tennis players, Novak Djokovic, I can't pronounce his name, Djokovic, changed his diet to include the elimination of wheat. And as he describes it, and this is a quote from him, quote, between gluten and blood sugar spikes, wheat is the mixed doubles team from hell, end quote. Cardiologist Dr. William Davis, author of Wheat Belly, describes wheat consumption, quote, from arthritis to acid reflux to schizophrenia, these can either be caused or made worse by wheat. It's about being set free from the peculiar appetite-stimulating effects of the opiate-like compounds unique to wheat. We reject all foods made from high-yield, semi-dwarf wheat, the worst crop ever created in a laboratory, end quote. The most common form of wheat in horse feed is wheat middlings. In dog food, it is called wheat mill run. The pet industry actually describes middlings as fine particles of wheat bran, wheat shorts, wheat germ, wheat flour, and some of the offal from the tail of the mill. Grain industry insiders refer to this cheap product as floor sweepings. A kernel of whole wheat contains three parts, germ, endosperm, and bran. All three components contain gluten, which means all three components contain gelatin, which binds to morphine receptors in the brain. Now, we normally think of bran as being a good thing for horses and dogs and people. But here's the thing. Bran contains 14% starch and 8% sugars, providing a total of 22% NSC, that's non-structural carbohydrates. For easy keepers or metabolic horses, and for dogs that are overweight, wheat bran would not be a good choice. And because of the amylopectin A and the presence of that protein gelatin, wheat bran may not be the best choice for humans either. Wheat is a commodity. As of February 09, 2016, wheat middlings range from $70 a ton to $115 a ton, this is based on the USDA market news. Now, a ton is 2,000 pounds. If we take an average between the high and low prices of wheat at $90 per ton, that translates into a cost of 0.045 cents per pound, which makes wheat a pretty inexpensive ingredient. So is it any wonder why it is often found in horse feeds and dog foods? Um, the decision to go wheat-free for your horses or your dogs or yourself, it's a personal choice. At Biostar, we went wheat-free several years ago, taking wheat grains like spelt and kamut out of our formulas, as well as wheat germ. We never used wheat middlings because they don't meet the whole food standards of Biostar. If you need an alternative to wheat bran for mashes, try oat bran instead. It's important to always add... Uh, a high calcium food like alfalfa pellets to balance the high phosphorus in, in oats. And remember, there are more and more animals and humans are having adverse reactions to food. Wheat is one of the many foods that some horses, some dogs, and some people are having adverse reactions to. So um, from, a, from the Biostar Whole Food perspective, if your horse is is overweight, is having trouble maintaining a healthy weight, um, if your horse has some metabolic imbalances, if your horse starts showing symptoms like a lack of energy, 
some recurrent bouts of low-grade colic, looser watery manure, some GI tract upset, you might want to start eliminating wheat and see if that doesn't improve your horse's health. So here we are at Coffee Clatch, and we're going to talk about our five best horsemanship tips and maybe a couple of the ones that weren't so successful, right. <laughs> the ones we, we wished we didn't know. So you go first, Patty P. Okay. Um, well, this is probably my favorite tip that I have. When I had moved down uh, to Virginia and we were tearing down our old barn and building a new one, we had a couple different cowboys that were in the barn helping tear down. And I can't remember the horse or the situation, but there were, we needed a twitch and there was nothing there. I didn't have any other equipment. And it was, I, I don't know if it was, a, I have no idea if it was for a vet or whatever. Um, over to a hay bale, takes the twine off of it, cuts it in about, I guess, four or five inches, makes it into a circle, goes over to a water bucket, takes it off the wall, takes the double end snap, and voila, we had a twitch. You take that. <sighs> turn it and you put it on, you twist it enough, you know, that, it, that they can feel the pressure and they hook it to the halter. And the nice thing about that is I, I have done that so many times in the last 20 years. I cannot tell you the people I've impressed with that one. It's a really good one. Wow. Yeah. You know, that's interesting that that's your first one because you know what my first one is? I cannot wait to hear. Teaching a horse to ground tie. Interesting. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, because you did quite well with that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think every performance horse needs to learn how to ground tie. I agree. And then you need an Australian shepherd to pick up the t- <laughs> the lead rope and then lead the horse into its it, stall. Exactly, which I witnessed uh, for several years running. <laughs> Wasabi and pie. Yep. Okay. What's your second one? Um. Okay. Um. Well, this is actually more of a horse management, like because I've had to manage so many different farms, but just to pick your fields. If you have a small field, but just to help with, with obviously worming, um, just to go and pick a field. Some people I know like to spread it and whatever, but just to take the time to go out and pick your fields. Not only does it look better, but it really helps with your worm load and worrying about worming. Don't put Shoshin under your saddle. Oh, my gosh. Or, oh, amen to that. That's, that's a really good one. Mm-hmm. I remember when somebody said, oh, don't spray it under your saddle. I thought, that's crazy. That's so I want stupid. my horse to be shiny all around. Man, it was like riding a that's slippery, a greasy pig. Well, and you just made me think of one other one. This is not on my list, but I'm going to add this because this is a beaut. Not that I did it <clears throat> ever, is being so excited. Someone had taught me how to really polish boots, and it didn't dawn on me <laughs> to not polish the inside. Yeah. So that was a black mess. Never polish the inside of your boots. Never, ever, ever, ever. ever. Okay. Yeah, that was a good, that's a good one, Tiggs. Okay, right. so this, this, this was... Um, Actually, no human taught me this. This, this, this first was relayed to me by Biostar clients. Okay, and then I witnessed it myself uh, in action. So uh, this tip is: don't leave bags of Optimum bars open <laughs> because the raccoons and dogs will eat. Them. Isn't that funny? <laughs> the raccoons and dogs. Okay, all right. Duly noted. <laughs> In fact, if you set your buckets out and you use optimum bars, yeah. you, you have to have like a guard dog or something because <laughs> the dogs will just walk by and pick up a few record. bars and yeah, go on their <laughs> merry way. Okay. All right. That duly noted. Um, I've realized that so many of mine are like just running farms one, but another really good one and mine are always goes back to somehow um, the health of the horse, but um, 
Dr. Tim Ober when I was in um, Wellington. And we get down there right around Christmas or before Christmas, the first week in January, second week always tended to be really cold. And I always had this one horse that just thought it was a super idea to colic. So what he told me to do is, and and I've heard this before, but he said one thing different, is put a little pinch of salt in their food to help their water increase as soon as you know that you think the weather's going to change. And all through... Um, the, the, the season, um, obviously the weather changes, but, uh, definitely in the beginning of the season. But the one thing that he told me, cause I kept saying, you know, this horse kept colicking every year and he said, yeah, but do you know that he's, he's lick, he's eating the salt. And so he had me out, he said, put it in your hand, make sure that when you're done riding, it's a little bit of a treat and whether it's Himalayan salt or, you know, table salt. Wow. Yeah. And so, um, I do, I do that Whenever the weather's going to change, I always have table salt or whatever type of salt, and I make sure the horses look it just to help increase drinking. Uh, may I make a request? You don't use table salt. I was kidding. As soon as I said table salt, what I meant was, is any salt that Tigger suggests is what I put in my hand. Can you text me what that is, please? It, it, would, it would be sea salt or sea Himalayan salt. salt. Yes, what I said was sea salt. You may have heard that as table salt. <laughs> what I meant was was table sea salt. Tigger, you're next. <laughs> now, I learned this from Chef Janssen. Oh, oh, I can't wait to hear this. And this is about training. Okay. Do the opposite of what the horse wants to do. Interesting. So, in other words, if your horse was sort of a diesel, mm-hmm. you had to really speed up the hind legs. Yeah, okay. If the hind legs were already speeded up and you, ha- you were on sort of a jet engine... A gazillion transitions to or wait. put bricks on their legs. Come on, think about this, Tigger. Come on. That could be a new tip. Tie a cinder block to your really fast horse's legs. I'm kidding. Okay, that's a good one. But, you know, whenever I'm even, you know, around horses in barns and stuff, if they want to, like, come towards me, mm-hmm. I always think of maintaining a little bit of a boundary, doing the opposite of what they want. Right. Well, that's training. That's good training, right? Exactly. Cool. Okay. Um, all right. My last one is, um, kind of an interesting one because there's, there's, there's going to be, I'm going to make this statement and then I have a feeling you're going to add to it. (laughs) (laughs) I have, uh, recently, um, was actually going around with a barn manager and was shocked to have her turn to me and say, and this is a large boarding barn, contrary to popular belief, you can feed bag beet pulp dry. Huh. So, take that, Tiggs. <sighs> there is beet pulp in commercial feed. Yes. It's generally in the form of a pellet. So, right. it's pelletized with other ingredients. Right. And because it's such a small amount, you know... And it's pelletized, you can feed it dry. Right. I feel really, really strongly that beet pulp should never be fed dry in its shredded form, in its um, uh, non-GMO form, which is mm-hmm. the speedy beet, which mm-hmm. looks like little, you know, rice checks. Right. Um, because the 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 body is going to pull moisture from the gut in order to hydrate the beet pulp. Right. So adding water to beet pulp is the whole idea of not pulling it from the horse's gut. Exactly. It's nature, it's, it can be nature's broom. You get a lot of water in there and you help things move through, right? And hydration is critical. Yeah, critical. So do you have another one or is that I do. Five? And this okay. is this is this is the the worst advice I ever got. Okay, I can't wait I to hear. <laughs> oh god, yes. you didn't get it from me, did you? <laughs> nope. Okay, thank god. Okay, go. <laughs> it's okay to ride in a ball cap. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I rode in ball caps for me years. Me too. Me too. And so did a lot of people. Yes. And now I'm thinking what? Jeez. Oh, I know. It, it's amazing none of us have, have permanent brain damage. Well, it is. And, you know, it's funny. I mean, I jumped without a helmet. 
Yeah, we. I, I think of all the things. You know, it's interesting. My favorite ball cap story of all time is when my daughter Hannah was doing her very first show on Lucky Me, and I believe she was six years old. I believe, and. At that point, I was just riding in ball caps. Remember, we used to have the radios you'd put on the back of your boots, and we would, you know, talk that way. Do you remember those uh, two-way radios? And she wanted the two-way radios because she was doing a walk trot, by the way. And uh, and she said, "Mommy, I just want to be able to have your ball cap on. I want to ride like you, just like you do." And I kept thinking, it is so interesting how much you can influence kids, even your own kids. And that has rung true. I mean, and it's funny because even before um, Courtney King had her accident. My daughter Hannah said to me, please promise me you will always wear a helmet. And I, I, every time I put my helmet on, I think of that because I think about how many kids or how many people you can influence. That's, that's so true. And, you know, I just thank God every day for the lives that Courtney has saved mm-hmm. um, with, with the requirement that everybody wears a helmet. And you know what? In the five-star this last weekend, the few people that had top hats – it looked silly. I bet. Yeah. I bet. So attitudes change. Thank goodness. They do. We don't want to become like football players. No. <laughs> the end no. No. <laughs> Our sponsor is Biostar. The links are biostarus.com and you can find us on Facebook at Biostar US. Get the Horse Radio Network phone app on iOS or Android by searching the Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free and easy to use. For details about today's show, go to healthycrittersradio.com, where you can find links, photos, and more information about our guests. As always, we love your feedback. Please follow us on Facebook under Healthy Critters Radio. Be sure to visit all the great shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Love your dog. Hug your horse. Feed your chickens. Clean your kid litter box. Dance with your goat. And slither with your snakes. 